0: Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, do please keep it open for a few minutes for this reminder of what a glorious set of promises God has given to us. And uh, I don't know if you can work out what the connection is, but well, it's kind of the slide kind of gives it away really, but we've got some, some a cola flavoured drink, uh, we've got some medicine and we've got a £10 note. I read an article on the, on the BBC website, it was about a man who had been arrested, in fact he'd been jailed for quite a few years. For his part, in what was described as the most serious fake medicine fraud uh, in recent British history, basically he'd been involved with this this big plot big uh, uh, money making plot, millions of pounds to bring into the country fake doses of medicine, which looked like real medicines but in fact only contained a fraction of the dose so it was not only a, it was a very clever fraud, but it was a highly dangerous fraud because if, uh, if you were a patient who got given this medicine it wouldn't have what you needed in it uh, it wasn 't the genuine article. Um, what I want us to think about for a few minutes this evening is what is genuine and what is not. Uh, you may have taken the, uh, the Pepsi challenge a few years ago. Um, you might have strong feelings on whether you drink Coke or Pepsi. Uh, in a congregation this size, I'd be surprised if there wasn't someone, and uh, my other daughter is not here, who would be in that category, to whom it matters a great deal which of those you get, and who can tell, who can tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi? You reckon you can? I thought there would be some. Uh, And of course, the same applies to to money, doesn't it? If you've got a a £10 note, um, they've become plasticky in recent years. It's just the latest in all the kind of technology in banknotes to make sure that you've got one which you can depend on being real. The reason I I have all these things is uh, we haven't been reading the rest of 2 Corinthians, but Paul, who wrote it, his credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ have been called into question by people in this church in the city of Corinth is he really the one who sent from god can we depend on his words they were saying how do we know he is the real thing it was an important question for them i want to say it's also an important question for us because you know when we read the words of the bible on which our faith faith is based they're the words of paul aren't they the words of his colleagues the other apostles we need to know that we can we can we can put our trust in them that we can put our lives uh, on these words, that they are the genuine article and not some kind of counterfeit. Uh, And I say that because, like the medicine, not so much like the coke, uh, a fake gospel is dangerous. Um, It gives false hope. It's serious. It's a matter of life and death. If Paul cannot be trusted, then what he says about the Christian faith can't be trusted either. And so he responds here in the, the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, with some reasons why his ministry and why the gospel he preaches, which is the gospel that we depend on, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is one that can be trusted. He explains that it's the genuine article, that it is glorious, that it's the good news that that we need to be reminded of once again at the beginning of a new week. It does not kill like a fake medicine would. In fact, the opposite, it gives us life. With a £10 note, Um, Dick's not here this evening, but fraud squad detectives, um, they know what to look for, because even with the modern uh, type of currency we've got, uh, the the mint are always only one step ahead of the counterfeiters, aren't they? Uh, You've got to know exactly what to to look for. Uh, You've got to make it harder and harder to fake the hologram and all those kinds of things. Well, what Paul offers here is the evidence that his ministry and his message can be trusted. Um, Look at your lives, he says to the Corinthians. Uh, Look at what a difference Christ has made to you. This message that I preach, this message that we've been singing about already this evening. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit. These are the things which show you that this is real, that it's genuine. So I want to give us briefly five hallmarks, if you like. Five marks of authenticity. Five things that remind us, give us confidence that what we have in the words of the Scriptures is the genuine gospel, the real thing. So let's look at each of them briefly. I haven't wrecked it, which is good. Um, Number one, verses one to five, and we're going to go through these verses quite quickly. The genuine gospel is internal. It works on our inner lives. At the end of chapter two, Paul has just been explaining how the proclamation of the gospel in his life and in his colleagues' lives um, spreads the aroma of Christ, the knowledge of Christ in the world. And that he's been offering it with sincerity. He's not after praise. He's not trying to make a profit. And then he says, right at the beginning of chapter 3, "Look, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Have you ever had a letter of recommendation? Or a certificate of authenticity for something? You probably have, when you stop to think about it, they can be very useful, can't they? Uh, But they're not foolproof. Um, I don't know the details of the story, but I imagine all of those fake medicines which came into the country looked like they had all the right paperwork with them to get them through customs, but they were fakes. The real test is, do they work? What effect do they have? The real test for the medicines was internal, wasn't it? What impact do they have on people's lives? It's the same with with the gospel, with Paul's ministry. So he says, verse 2, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, not a printed letter, but written with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's the first real test of the genuine gospel genuine Christian ministry, does it bring a change, a change on people from the inside? The Corinthians themselves, for all their flaws, and they had many, were Paul's evidence that this was in fact the case. He didn't preach a message of law, give them a series of commandments and say, this is what you have got to do. Moral requirements or religious requirements. He gave them a gospel of grace. A gospel of God at work in their lives, changing them from the inside by the work of the Spirit. That is the first sign that God is genuinely at work in someone's life. It still is. And it's the first reason we have that we should believe this gospel that Paul preaches. The gospel is internal. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts making a difference. Secondly, The genuine gospel brings life and not death. Uh, Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And Then Paul says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Basically, it's this. It's no good telling someone what to do if they can't do it, is it? If there's a, a drowning man, it is no good saying to him, just swim over there. He can't do it if he can't swim. He needs rescuing. It's the same with the letter of the law and the gospel of the spirit. The old covenant, as it's called, at the law of Moses, in the opening chapters of the Bible, opening books of the Bible, it served a purpose. It's good. Its purpose was to show the people of God what God's will was and also to reveal that they couldn't live up to it for themselves. The letter kills. It revealed their shortcomings. It showed them, it shows us where they are. It shows us the trouble we're in on our own. No one ever became a Christian by trying to be good enough before God. That's why Paul has always avoided calling on them to, to keep the law or to try to be better than anyone else. It doesn't work. might make them feel a bit better for a while, but it's fake. Instead, he's preached grace over and over again. The only way to be saved by God. We know this, don't we? And yet we need reminding of it because we're so tempted to feel like we need to do a little bit better next week. Well, yes, we do but not by our own efforts, only by the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. That is the Spirit's work. Uh, The law, the letter, just shows us where we go wrong. The Spirit gives us life and begins to change our hearts because it's the power of God. So the genuine gospel brings life, not death. It gives us hope uh, in the midst of our struggles. That's the second piece of evidence that we can trust Paul's gospel, that it's genuine. Thirdly, verses 7 to 11, the genuine gospel has a glory that is permanent. It's not temporary. These verses are not the easiest verses in the New Testament. I'm going to admit that. I would say, actually, I think 2 Corinthians is in some ways the hardest of Paul's letters to get, well, I found it one of the hardest to get my head round in places. And some of these verses are a bit tricky. Um, But have a look at them. Uh, Paul is comparing the law of Moses uh, in verse 7, which he calls the ministry that brought death, what I've just been talking about, with the ministry of the Spirit, which is even more glorious. He's basically saying, look, if the old covenant was glorious, even though it couldn't save people, in the end it could only reveal their condemnation, then how much more glorious is the gospel we have heard, which gives us new life and righteousness by God's grace through his spirit, verse 9. Um, imagine someone sitting in their bedroom. I don't want to stereotype, but it might be a teenager, sitting in their bedroom with the curtains closed uh, and the lamp on, uh, reading a book or doing some homework. When, If only they would pull the curtains back. It is a glorious sunny day outside and there would be no need for a lamp. Maybe um, some of you can be like that. I don't know, on a, on a summer's morning. So much brighter, the sun would come streaming in, not to mention the electricity that could be saved. Do I sound like a parent? Likewise here, the laws of the Old Testament are glorious. They are good. Uh, They're not to be sniffed at. They have an important and significant role to play in God's economy. His plans for the world and for his people. But then, they're not eternal. They are temporary and they are fading verse 11. How much greater the glory of that which lasts. It's the difference between a lamp and the sunshine pouring in. The person who comes to faith in Jesus is given eternal life. They have such simple words to say, aren't they? We say words like that every week when we come to church, but they are just awesome. They are like the morning sun streaming in and revealing the the glory and the power of God in his people's lives. The eternal life of God's new creation. And this is the glorious permanence of the gospel that Paul preached, and the third mark of authenticity. It's internal, it gives life, it's not temporary, but it's permanent. Fourthly, verses 12 to 16, and again, these are not the easiest verses, Uh, They're worth a deep dive, but that's for another day. Um, I don't know if anyone can remember the last total solar eclipse in the UK. Some of you can, some of you can't. We've had some partial ones. The last total one was in August 1999. So you may or may not have been around for that one. The next one is in 2090. So we're not all going to experience it. I'm probably not. What will I be? 119. Don't fancy my chances, really. But if you were around for that one, you might remember the various warnings that were put out through the media leading up to the eclipse. Quite a big event, you know, all kinds of writing uh, and, and, uh, and excitement about it. But of course, the warning time and again was, don't look directly at the sun. You mustn't look directly at the sun. Now, there are scientists who will be able to study this with special kind of filtered glass and stuff, but you need to be very careful. There were all kinds of things about looking at a shadow of it or a, a reflection of it, um, but being really careful what you did. And the warnings kept on coming until one lady wrote to the newspaper uh, and asked the question, if this eclipse is going to be so dangerous, then why are we having it in the first place? (laughs) Apparently. Which is silly, but the radiance and glory of God are much brighter than the sun and also way beyond our control. Um, If you know the story, which is referred to here, um, Exodus chapter 34, isn't it? Moses who had to put a veil over his face after he had glimpsed the presence of God when he went down the mountain to see the people because his face was shining with such radiance that people couldn't stand it anymore. It was too much for them. But verse 13, Paul says his ministry is not to be like that. It's not to be veiled. When he is at work, when the the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, everyone needs to see the glory. Um, I imagine that Paul had sometimes been criticised for his blunt, direct teaching. And people who tell the truth straight sometimes do get criticised for it, don't they? But the Corinthians perhaps would have preferred something a little bit less dazzling, a little bit less in their face. No, says Paul, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This is the fourth mark of the genuine gospel here. A time for timidity gone. No veiled messages. Tell it like it is, the hope of glory that is in our hearts. See, the problem was this. When Moses met with God, he shone with God's glory, but it was too much for the people of Israel. So he had to wear a veil. Why was that? The problem wasn't with Moses, was it? With the people. Their hearts were far from God's, And that's why Paul says, I think in verses 14 and 15, A veil remains over the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament law when it's read. On its own, it cannot save. It's too dazzling. It can only condemn. Its glory, which is real, because it's pointing to the coming of Jesus, is a glory that is hidden behind a veil to those who cannot see, to the hard hearts of the people. Now, of course, the veil over Moses' face in Exodus 34 could be removed again but only when he went back up the mountain into the presence of God uh, to behold his glory. And Paul says, verse 16, it's the same today. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, uh, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What does that mean? It's only when someone turns to the Lord that they're able to understand the true meaning of what God is saying, the true meaning of the scriptures. It's interesting, isn't it, how even in 2024, there are all kinds of people who may not be believers, but they can be quite complimentary about the Bible as a great work of literature. Um, I remember, do you remember a few years ago? Um, it was the was it the 400th anniversary of the King James version of the Bible, and there were all kinds of kind of things. There was something on TV, even articles saying what a wonderful work of English literature this was, but not recognizing that this was the very Word of God written in the common common language of its day. Why is that? Because for people who haven't turned to the Lord, Paul says, their hearts are veiled. They cannot behold the glory that is there. Um, Again, it's a real reminder that that coming to know God is not about human effort. It's about his work in people's hearts, in people's lives. The work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And now in Jesus Christ, the way to eternal life is known. That's the great hope that Paul is sharing with the Corinthians. It's a gospel to proclaim. So, fourthly, the genuine gospel gives us boldness, not timidity. Proclaim it and let God do his work. And lastly, the genuine gospel brings freedom and not bondage. Verses 17 to 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit. A bit of Trinitarian theology going on there. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces... In other words, we know the Lord, we have seen the Lord. We who with unveiled faces all reflect or contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness or his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in many ways this takes us back to where we started with the idea that the Corinthians were Paul's own letters of recommendation, not written on tablets, but written on hearts because the Spirit was at work in them internally. What's the work of the Spirit within within God's people? To bring us freedom. To free us. Freedom from sin. Freedom from its power. Freedom from its consequences. No longer separated from God, because His Spirit is dwelling within us, bringing us back to Him through the work of the Lord Jesus. So that now we can look on God with unveiled eyes. Faces, Not confused, not dulled to the truth, but knowing his salvation. So the final mark of the genuine gospel is that because it comes by the Spirit's work, it can bring about genuine change to our lives. Not that we will be perfect yet, but one day we will. Not that we're sinless now, not this side of eternity. But that every step the Lord leads us on is one on a path that he's going to bring to completion. And we're going to be back in Philippians again next week where we've been for the last few weeks. And those reminders there that he is the God who will complete in us what he has started. By God's great uh, grace, he is transforming his people into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So... I'll put those there for your encouragement this week. I don't know what you've got in front of you in the next five days, the next seven days. But here are five marks of the genuine gospel as preached by Paul. They stand as a reminder of what it means to be someone who has been rescued by Christ, someone who has eternal life, someone who is freed to be changed from the inside out. Someone who is freed to speak boldly by the spirit of what God has done. What do those things look like for you on a Monday morning this week? Or on a Tuesday afternoon or a Wednesday evening? And they also stand as a reminder why we can trust this book that we hold in our hands, which is such a privilege and so easy to take for granted. Our Coke may be authentic or not. You may have doubts about the £10 note in your pocket. I hope not about the medicine in your cupboard. You need have no doubts about the words that God has given us, that he applies to our hearts by his spirit. It has all the hallmarks of the genuine article.